Welcome to The Market Tech, the podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Market Tech is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, uh, my God, we, we, we're really in for a treat. I have the pleasure of chatting with three SaaS marketing leaders who really play a crucial role in orchestrating their company's go-to-market strategy and consequently just helping Clary win. They've won at Drift, uh, at Salesforce, and so many other places along the way. Looker, in the in the case of Kyle, um, and so there's just there's just so much goodness and best practices to share. Uh, again, you know the reason I picked these three is because well, revenue just got even more critical, and in these tough economic times, every drop of revenue matters. Revenue critical employees, they're, they're, they're in nearly every department. It's more than just marketing and sales. However, when the CMO, the product marketing exec, and the content marketing leader, when these three work seamlessly together and collaborate with their critical interlocks upstream with product, downstream with the rest of the revenue engine, they're really setting up the company to position to win. And they're gonna share with us just how they help Clary position to win. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Devin. You'll know him as The Reader. Julian, savage Julian. I know it's Savage, but man, that guy can be savage with his product marketing at times. And Kyle Coleman. Welcome, gents. Pleasure being here. Yo, thanks for having us. So let's start with the basics. Let's level set for our audience here, because, you know, depending on who you ask, you get a different answer. Let's, let's lay some foundation first. Julian, please share with us your definition of product marketing. Uh, my definition of product marketing, I tend to use the music analogy. I think we're the sound system of the company and of the product. We listen, we listen to market trends. We kind of adjust our pitch, just like an actual microphone. And then we amplify like like an actual martial amp we amplify the stories the narrative to just reach a bigger audience wow i love that the sound system of the company kyle uh considering you hired him fairly recently i'm assuming you're aligned anything he missed your take on product marketing what's your definition very aligned very aligned i would say something i would add is the role of product marketing is to take the features of the product that the product team is is so excited about in the field in many cases is so excited to sell and up level it into some sort of story or some sort of narrative that has human emotion and that's what julian has done such a fantastic job of for us is elevating the way that we used to sell from very feature function oriented to this more uh, emotional narrative story-based approach and it's just made a tremendous difference so far in a short time here Love it. Up leveling features into a story with emotion. Fantastic. And and what a nice segue into Devin. Uh, content marketing, product marketing, they go together. Horse and carriage, peanut butter and jelly. And when I say peanut butter, I'm talking about that crunchy craft type. Now, you're just pretending if it's anything else than that. Uh, let's level set with the audience on content marketing. A lot of folks paint it with a broad brush. Set the record straight. What is the role of content marketing at a B2B SaaS company? Rowan, I, I trusted you fully until that crunchy peanut butter comment. Uh, <laughs> that is complete blasphemy. <laughs> if you ever serve me crunchy peanut butter, I will send it back and delete your number. 
Uh, it's all about smooth <laughs> peanut butter. But uh, to your question, uh, the goal of content marketing is to use content to change the way uh, that your market thinks and acts. Uh, that's what it all boils down to. There's a lot of different strategies. You could be creating a category. You can use a bunch of different tactics. But at the end of the day, we're trying to change the way people think and act. Kyle, your thoughts on content marketing, your definition? Uh, first, I have to just wholeheartedly agree with Devin on the smooth peanut butter debate. That's <laughs> unacceptable for there to be, even be an alternative. And if anybody starts to try and even think about selling almond butter or cashew butter, oh, please, get out of here. Please get no, out of here. No, exactly. Um, I will double down on what Devin said. Changing the way that people think, that, that's such a powerful thing that Devin said, and it's a very difficult thing to do. And I would be very surprised if most content marketers thought about their job this way, but that really is the opportunity that content marketers have. And I know Devin and I both are students of a gentleman by the name of Chris Lockhead, who talks a lot about the difference between obvious ideas and non-obvious ideas. And I think what I've seen from Devin in, in my all the years I've known him, and now, of course, the time we've been working together, is how he has a, a pretty natural lens to think about things through or a non-obvious lens to apply to ideas, to make them more meaningful, to make them more provocative, to make to, to really change the way that people think. So I couldn't agree more with Devin. And I, I hope that content marketers really think deeply about what he said, because it's very hard, but very powerful. Love it. Julian, you're you're not just a product marketing executive, product marketing leader at Clary. You're you're an important go-to-market leader at Clary. You and the team, you're responsible for driving growth end of the day. However, no team can drive growth themselves in silo. This is GTM is a team sport. Can you share with us, um, you know, De Devin rightfully said content marketing is all about changing the way people think. And it's not just on content marketing. I love that phrase, by the way, but it's not just on content marketing to do that. How are like who are your key interlocks, um, both upstream and downstream, as you drive go to market for Clary? Yeah, um, I was expecting that question. <laughs> I feel like every question related to product marketing always goes uh, talks about cross functional stakeholders and, and alignment. Uh, so I think for me, it's pretty much pretty all across the board, but typically starting with product and sales and CS. Uh, and then going all the way up to ELT or e-staff, of course, the content marketers, the brand marketers, the demand gen function, even SDRs. So it really is, it takes a village to fuel the, the revenue engine for sure. Uh, and PMM is a bit of a, a liaison or a, a gel between those functions. And I think specifically because we're uh, now working really closely with Devin, um, I think the, the the interlock between content and PMM and product marketing is sometimes overlooked. I, I, I do think that people tend to think in silos. They're like, oh yeah, top of the funnel awareness stuff. Huh, that's my content folks. And then bottom, middle and bottom of the funnel consideration stage that gets kicked to PMM. And I think that's a big mistake. I think at the end of the day, a buyer doesn't think that way. There's no separation between middle, bottom, top of the funnel. I think we should all tell the same story. So I am really excited about uh, for the idea of, of kind of bringing both content and product marketers here together at, at Clary. I think it'll help with just messaging alignment. 
Preach, my friend. Preach. Devin, as a content strategist, content leader, uh, who are your key interlocks? I mean, it's, it's, kind, it's kind of everyone on that go-to-market front in, in marketing and sales. So I, I kind of think of content as like the nucleus of the marketing team. And that's not because it's the most important or you know the, the brain per se, but that it, it, it touches everything. Like it touches growth marketing on, you know, what ad copy that you use. It helps with uh, sometimes storytelling when, you know, with uh, what uh, Julian and his team's doing and so on and so forth. And so it's like, it's kind of impossible to do marketing without any content. Um, so I kind of view it as, you know, there's stuff that me and my team own, and then there's an even longer list of things that we support. Um, and that's kind of everyone on the marketing org. Um, the other thing though, too, that I think, you know, kind of going back to like what a lot of content marketers miss is talking to sales leaders. Someone told me early in my career, the closer you are to revenue, uh, the more impactful you're going to be. And so instead of creating uh, content on, you know, what I call it on content island, which is all by yourself in a desolate place, uh, or even with, you know, your, your marketing peers is talk to revenue leaders. What are they hearing? Uh, what are the topics that they, you know, want to uh, want us to position ourselves around? What are the language that they're hearing from our prospects and being able to have a two-way street of both, you know, telling them, hey, here's what we're working on and why. It's also important to have, you know, uh, open lines of communication to get topic ideas, to get channel ideas, and really to use their insight to, to feed the strategy and the planning. Love it. And, and you shared earlier that, let's stay, Devin, let's just stay with you for a second. You, you shared that content marketing is all about changing the way people, and when we say people, your best fit customers think. Right. Like, what are your expectations of Julian's product marketing team to enable you to be successful in crafting the, the assets that you need to change the way people think? Yeah, I think the first thing is like, kind of starts like the product, right? Which is we, we built, you build products and features for reasons. Uh, and it's not just for building products and features, right? There's always a reason behind it. And so I lean on Julian to say, hey, what's coming up and why? Because that's going to help me, you know, inform my strategy. And then the other thing is, you know, content is big on, you know, social media channels, email, all these distribution and amplification channels. I want to make sure that the things that I'm amplifying align with our company uh, narrative, company vision, because the kind of not the worst thing, but one of the, the best worst case scenarios is you have successful top of funnel content, but it's disjointed and not aligned to what, you know, what you actually want to position your company as. And so you might build trust and credibility, but kind of for the wrong reasons, right? People hit your, you know, read your content, they like it, but then they go to your website and it doesn't really mesh. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel uh, kind of congruent. So those are kind of the things that, that I'm leaning on product marketing for. Uh, Kyle, let, let's let's turn to you for, for a second here. It's clear from both Julian and Devin that product marketing content, it's like, Peanut butter and damn you both, sure. <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. Um, just, just trust me and try the crunchy. It adds a different texture and a different experience to the sandwich. But anyways, peanut butter and jelly, it's just inextricably linked uh, and complimentary for that, for that fact. As the CMO, you're balancing both external forces such as market dynamics, customer behaviors, competitive landscape, evolving tech, and internal forces like your growth strategy, internal interlocks, culture, like to ensure that Clary is growing. You're, you're hitting your revenue, your objectives. What is your expectation of both product marketing and content to help Clary win? 
It's a really good question, and it is certainly not easy. I think there are short-term and long-term expectations that that I have both for product marketing and content marketing and its impact on the company. Short-term is to help us hit our pipeline and revenue targets. We know that there are things that PMM and content can do to generate demand or to accelerate deals or to help shore up renewals or whatever it may be, and that's via storytelling, it's through customer references, it's through all the sorts of things that their teams can help drive. And that's super important, but we don't want to be too laser focused and only be measuring their success or, or charting their priorities based on short-term results. The longer term things that this crew, PMM and content can bring to life for Clary is frankly more important from a multiplier effect standpoint, which is making our category a meaningful and lasting category in the market and leading the way that the market thinks about revenue, the way that the market thinks about revenue technology and a revenue platform like ours. And that's largely what this team has to do. PMM setting the internal narrative, setting uh, all the storytelling frameworks, ensuring that all the different field members are singing from the same song sheet, and then content going and changing the way that people think about revenue technology. So short and long-term, and, and those are my expectations. Oh, no I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that you put it in two buckets. And uh, this is a nice segue to the next question I have for you. Kyle, let's just stick with you for a second. Imagine it's the end of the year. You look back at, let's let's imagine it's the end of 2023, just to give uh, Julian and, uh, and Devin some slack here. They just started. Uh, let's imagine it's the end of 2023. You're looking back at product marketing and content. What does success look like? Like, what are the top three metrics you believe define success for each Julian's product marketing team and Devin's content marketing team? Man, this is a really good question. And it's tough because again, we we have these different time horizons that we're, we're trying to be mindful of and not be too myopic about what the goals may be um, and steer the ship the wrong way. So obviously we want to understand each of their team's contribution to revenue and they're contributing to revenue in different ways uh, from literal demand generation to, as I talked about before, some of the deal acceleration type things that, that their efforts can help with. And so the more that, or the better that we can attach content and PMM efforts to revenue generation or revenue influence, the better off we're going to be. And frankly, the more meaningful seat at the table we're going to have with our CEO, CFO, and CRO, because guess what they're primarily focused on? Revenue. So revenue is always going to be the number one metric that matters to us, but we know that it is a lagging indicator in many ways of their success. So the other things that I, I would want to keep an eye on are the things that indicate that it, to Devin's point earlier, how are we changing the way that people think? How is the awareness for Clary's technology and for Clary's category showing up in the market? What kind of market share do we have? How have how has website traffic changed? What how is different awareness measurements? Um, just tracking all those types of things and trying to understand that there are both leading and lagging indicators, and we need to keep an eye on both. Fantastic. Uh, so so articulately put, and I and I love that you have the lagging versus the leading indicators because the expectations typically of product marketing and content uh, is very much here and now, here and now versus both short-term and long-term focus. So I love that you have that strategic lens and tactical lens. Uh, Devin, let's start with you and then go to Julian. Your take, what are your top three metrics at the end of the year that you live and die by for content? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, re- revenue was, was, uh, would be number one as well. And, and sometimes, you know, depending on that horizon, that could be, you know, could be pipeline, right? It could be amount of uh, inbound demo requests, however you kind of label those, or, you know, sometimes pipeline influence for the right thing. But at the end of the day, all the different ways you want to measure revenue uh, is number one. Uh, number two, I would say, because I'm at Clary and because we're doing category, uh, you know, the category design play, I would say category growth as number two. Uh, there's different ways you can measure that. And then number three, kind of a balancing act, but I would say audience growth. Um, the other one I would say is maybe content consumption, like overall, how much is your content being consumed in the market? Um, but if you're doing you know, content consumption, then audience growth should happen. So I would say it'd be those three, revenue, category, audience growth. Love it. Julian, your top three metrics, end of year. Yeah, I mean, it has to be revenue and pipe. Uh, my Stephanie Buscemi, my former um, mentor and hiring manager at Salesforce, she was CMO at Salesforce, used to say all the time, revenue and pipe cures all ills. And I still think that is true. So revenue and pipe for sure. And then in terms of earlier on leading indicators, uh, very aligned with Devin, uh, I think category growth, audience growth, engagement, of course, early stage pipeline, MQLs, those are good. And for, I would say, more the, the core PMM, uh, I really like looking at stage conversions. I think sometimes the deal durations are so that it takes time to close a deal. And so, you know, by the time you do that, you can't really adjust your messaging. And so I really love the idea of using conversation intelligence tools like Wingman and others to track adoption and adherence to the talk track and to the messaging and see if that actually helps with stage, stage conversion and velocity. Um, oh. So that would be my, my, my last one. The last one, the last thing I'll say, and I also always say that, I think the macro indicator is also employee morale. Like I really think that if you bring your employees together under a shared story, that everybody feels passionate about, everybody feels invested into, man, that is the ultimate KPI, just happier employees. I So it's funny you say that, Jillian. Uh, Reka, who you know, uh, VP Product Marketing yep. at Salesforce on the services side, uh, yep. that, was, that was one of her top three metrics as well, which was um, the joy uh, that employees have as it relates to you know waking up every morning and, and doing this, which is where we spend most of our time. So I love that you sent that. It's not a sappy metric. It's real. It's tangible. Your employees are engaged. They have to go through walls for your organization to hit your revenue and pipe cures all ills uh, metric. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. Now that we know what success looks like, let's work backwards. So if we know what we're going to go and hit, Let's switch the conversation to how you're going to hit it. And for me, especially as it relates to product marketing content, our role is very simple. It's three words. The definition is simple. I shouldn't say that. The role is very difficult. (laughs) We help companies position to win. And the win is an acronym. It, It stands for who impact and narrative. So who are we going to win with? And who are we going to win against? So best fit customers and our competitors. The I in win is impact. So it's not enough to just talk about the value that we offer our customers. What is the impact of that value? Go one step further. And then finally, the N 
uh, is you need that narrative, both internally and externally, to, I'm going to borrow from Devin here, change the way people think. So to that end, Kyle, let's get let's tackle the who first, then Julian and Devin. Let's stick with who for a second. Whether at Looker, uh, you know, which was acquired by Google, or now at Clary, as a sales executive first and now a marketing executive, can you share like what you've learned with regards to how uh, both Looker and now Clary, how, how you get focused on deciding who to serve and who to compete against? Because who we compete against is also a decision. Can you share your tidbits as to how you get focused and how the company gets focused? It's a, it's a really good question, Rowan, and it's a mistake that a lot of, especially startups seem to have, is that they have such grand ambitions and they're so proud of the product that they've created. They try and sell it to everybody. And that is very rarely a winning strategy. You have to find some way to trim down the universe to make it just more manageable for your marketing and sales and go-to-market team to be able to actually support. So the way that I think about it is, kind of uh, like a target where you have the bullseye in the center of the target, and then you have the concentric rings around it. And I've done this exercise both at Looker as an early employee, as well as literally the first thing I did when I joined Clary three and a half years ago was we sat down and we looked at our customer base and we pulled out the different things that they had in common from a firmographic standpoint, a technographic standpoint, trying to understand the types of people that they had on their team. And we built a pretty comprehensive profile of what a true ideal customer actually looks like. And we're really honest with ourselves. Like, can we, you know, I'll go back in time three and a half years to uh, to Clary at this time. It's like, could we sell to a hundred thousand person company? Probably not. We probably can't sell it. And we probably couldn't even support that deployment if we wanted to. So let's look at our logo wall. We had about 200 customers at the time. And we found some commonalities that about two thirds of these customers had. They were between 200 and 2000 employees. They employed a certain technology stack. They had a chief revenue officer in their org. So there's a really important sort of, and it was more complicated than that, but those are the three main thing variables that we isolated. And that allowed us to go and replicate that ICP profile to other prospect accounts and then direct all of our sales and marketing energy against the center of the bullseye. Now, if something outside of that ICP came to us inbound, of course, we would assess and we would try and, and work it. But with respect to the marketing work that we did, the outbound work that we did, and the deals that our sales team prioritized, it was entirely around the center of that bullseye. I, I love these three variables that you're uh, using to, uh, to magnify, really, who you're really going to go after so you can be very, very focused. Uh, Julian. How is your product marketing team really at Clary and or at Salesforce, Gong? How are your teams deciding who to win with and who to win against? What, what's your process? The process is really relying heavily on market intelligence or voice of the customer research type of programs, right? I, I really believe we need to bring that, that data in. Um, so that can take the form of a long third party uh, driven research analysis, but it can so also be short and sweet and snappy uh, with like just quick surveys and whatnot. So there's multiple ways to do that. And of course, you can always listen to your wingman, wingman calls and whatnot. Uh, so we, we use a lot of data always in, in PMM when it comes to defining the who 
Uh, I don't have a whole lot to add to what Kyle said. I just want to say uh, it's really complex and it's also, it kind of, it's very fluid, right? Typically in our ICP, we would have primary and secondary buyer personas, but then you can also have expansion specific personas. Typically you would maybe land in sales and then you expand in CS or in marketing. Also want to say that personas sometimes they vary by the sales stage, right? You typically go and pitch to a line of business person. And then when you advance the deal forward, you start having a CISO or an IT persona coming to do some sec review and whatnot uh, later stages. So I guess what I'm saying is that it has to be backed by data. And you also need to, as a marketer, to really embrace the complexity because the who, the persona is very fluid and, and kind of always changes through time. Love it. And uh, I love the wingman subtle shout out there. All good. All mm -hmm. good. Sorry, couldn't help it. <laughs> hey, listen, it, it's a tool to uh, better understand uh, who you're uh, winning with and who you're winning against. Uh, so by all means, I, I, I'm, I'm for that. Devin, the who is so critically important to your content marketing team. And I know people make that assumption, but like what level of granularity does your team need to build the right content along the journey, the right thought leadership? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about right now is, is your product competitors, right? So if you type in, you know, maybe you're looking at Airtable right now, you go into Google, you type in Airtable space verse and then space and you wait, you're going to get a bunch of competitors right? Click up, Asana, whatever. Um, content, and from my perspective, those are only part of your actual competition. Your other competition are your attention competitors. So when I'm thinking of, hey, we sell to CROs, I'm not just going against their, you know, other, other products. What I'm going for is every time that CRO has five minutes and opens up their feed or goes to a, a blog or clicks on a podcast, I have a lot more competition because there's other, yeah, you know, other product competitors might have a podcast, for example, but there's media companies, right? And there's other channels and other places they could spend their attention. So I'm doing a level deeper of analysis and figuring out, hey, before we launch this new channel, this new series, this new thing, how do we stack up against the competition? I don't want to be incrementally better. I don't want to be two to 5% better than the other, you know, interview podcasts, for example. I want to be radically different. I want to provide something that when they're telling their peers about, it's something they have to share because it's unlike anything else, even if it's only for one specific reason or one kind of specific tactic. Um, so that's maybe kind of something a little bit different that, that people can kind of think through of using that attention competitor framework and mindset to really differentiate their content. Oh my God, I love that. So you're not trying to be incrementally better. You're trying to be radically different. And that's a great segue to the next uh, question I have, Julian. Let's turn to you for this one. In order to be radically different versus incrementally better, Devin, you're on a roll here with these phrases that I'm going to hashtag <laughs> use. Change the way people think now. Radically different versus incrementally better. Julian, to, to do that, we have to be able to understand not just the value that we offer these best fit customers, but the impact of this value. So can you share uh, just your process, your team's process for A, uh, understanding the value uh, that um, Clary provides? And it need not just be Clary, you, you can borrow from your lovely, amazing uh, prior career experience. 
And also then how you're extracting the impact of that value. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, and this is going to start stepping onto the, the narrative toes, right? The, I think in your win framework, the I and the N impact and narrative are actually really, really close. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. But like, to me, it's it's kind of bottoms up, right? Like you got to, as a marketer, you got to stay close to your customer, to your buyer. So if you can be attend some live calls um, and really listen to what the customers have to say about the value they're getting from your solutions. Great. If you cannot do that, you can always do, you know, replay call, a recorded call. <clears throat> so really like trying to understand the key value drivers, uh, get some of those outcome metrics. And then I think from that, uh, the, the bigger, bolder story starts to emerge, right? Which is why I see that really as a rising up or bottoms up approach. Um, but in my book, I mean, I come from Salesforce. So if you go to whatever Dreamforce presentation, it never really is about the tech. It's about the fun. It's about the brand. It's about the value you're getting. It's about how transformational uh, purchasing that piece of software is going to be for you. So really, really keen on, I guess, up-leveling things. Uh, going from feature function to the actual value people get from the, the offering and then packaging, packaging all of that into a nice, a nice story that people just feel emotionally drawn into. That's the key. Love it. And then with this impact and value in hand, let's stay with you, Julian, for a quick second here. Yeah. Uh, how is your product marketing team then conveying this in narrative form? So not just the content yet, but like prior to that, from a messaging and narrative perspective, how are you packaging all that into a uh, a messaging and narrative form? Yeah, I think it depends on the <laughs> kind of like the channel, right? But like typically every product marketer out there would start with a deck, uh, like a keynote deck or a sales pitch deck. Uh, and typically you you start with it's your usual narrative design type of tactic in which you try to anchor really high and make people realize that the world has changed. And with that change comes the need to reinvent yourself and to transform. And with that comes um, a big opportunity. And then you walk them through the opportunity, the pain tunnel, uh, related to not being able to capture that opportunity and then you introduce your solution. So I kind of feel like any good messaging PMM out there kind of has the ingredients uh, and, the, and the ways to tell the story, but it just needs to be always, always really well anchored into, uh, I guess, customer evidence and actual value outcomes. Lovely. Well said. Well I don't said. know if I answered that correctly. Maybe it was a little fluffy and vague. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Good, good insights. And, and, and so Devin, let's build off what Julian just said. So I've had the pleasure of speaking to content leaders throughout the product marketing community. And I hear from quite a few folks that, you know, they occasionally receive fluff from their product marketing peers. They don't receive the, the right ingredients, if you will, to, to go and build uh, the right content assets so that they can, you know, change the way people think. What advice Let's have a, a nice heart-to-heart -heart here amongst friends. So <laughs> what advice do you have for your product marketing, Pete, uh, when it comes to you know conceiving the narrative for both internal and external audience so that you and your team can craft 
compelling content throughout the buyer's journey? Yeah, well, you know, I can, I would preface this because, you know, my, my boss is on the line right now. And, uh, <laughs> uh, no, this is something that, that Julie and I get along with really well because, you know, I, I, um, I was a sales rep for longer than I've been a marketer. And I've been in a, you know, a, a large conference room and a product marketer comes in and says, hey, I know the way you've been pitching, but here's a new deck and here's how you're going to do this. And here's our new pricing. And everyone in, that are sales reps kind of just look at each other like, yeah, what do you know? Like, you're not on these calls. You're not positioning. You're not selling. You're just like, you know, concocting slides in a lab and then expecting us to roll it out. And that's a little pessimistic or it might sound a little harsh, but that's probably the mindset of most sellers because there's usually kind of a, uh, here's the new flavor of the week, take it and go, right? It's not always the, you know, a lot of it's in the rollout. But if you kind of dive into why it doesn't land in terms of what the actual deliverable is from product marketing is a lot of time it's using words and phrases that people don't naturally say or use. It's like this, you know, tech lingo language of like, you know, kind of high up on the positioning, uh, you know, high horse kind of. And it's just like, okay, I love the idea. Let's now take that and put it into like actual human terms. Like that sales reps can repeat and don't feel like they're reciting. That recipients, uh, you know, prospects, buyers, they hear this and it resonates versus trying to learn a new dialect. And so I think that is that kind of miscommunication is maybe a lot of times the breakdown between, you know, with, you know, product marketing and content or, you know, middle funnel or pitch decks and top of funnel. And so like back to Julian, I love a lot of times he shares stuff with me and he goes, and by the way, like the language isn't perfect. Like don't get caught up in that. Let's work on the concepts and then you can help us with the language. And so I think that's really important. Um, and just using language that makes sense to them rather than the language that you made up and really want them to use because it's probably not going to work. I love it. And and so Devin, everything you just said, it's like, you know, it boils down to keeping your audience top of mind and, and whether that's your internal audience, like your sales folks, or your external prospects, uh, customers, from a sales perspective, you hit the nail on the head. They don't want to learn a new dialect. They, they want things in a manner that is natural to how they speak and how they, they have these, you know, these, these day-to-day calls. And so if you listen to Clary Wigman, product marketers would understand that the language that sales uses is, is everyday human speak. They don't, there's no eloquent prose. So what, why the hell are we crafting messaging and and content that is an elegant prose that they're going to have to translate and, and waste their time translating? So I love that you said um, what you said because it's, it all boils down to understanding your audience and, and how they uh, intake material. Um, sadly, we're going to have to conclude here. Oh, No. This is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, and, Julian, Julian wins an Oscar for that acting right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. uh, yeah, well, you guys have to get back to uh, meeting all the goals that Kyle's laid out for you. Uh, but <laughs> leave our audience with just one takeaway, if you don't mind, Julian, Devin. Can you share one takeaway on what this audience of CMOs, product marketers, content pros, need to understand as it relates to collaborating and positioning to win in 2023? What's the one takeaway you want to leave them with? Savage, you want to go first? (laughs) Sure. I think I'll just build up what Dev just said about like market specificity, right? Like sometimes 
I do agree, PMMs have a tendency of just playing the B2B tech marketing bingo and everything is actionable insights and AI driven recommendations and blah. And, and so I think a good way to avoid that trap is to really stay connected to the revenue teams, stay connected to your customers. Even if you're a marketer, you should take as many sales calls as possible. You should listen to some call recordings. You should embark on a customer listening tour. I'm going to do that myself here at Clary in a few weeks. Really think that every marketer should be able to pitch, maybe even to deliver the demo, to handle objections, and to kind of tell that big strategic narrative in a nice, compelling, and consistent way. Love it. And, and when you say you're heading out on a listening tour, uh, you're you're not just talking about allocating time to to listening to Clary Wigman. You're actually going to go out and meet customers, talk to them. Correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, over Zoom, I'm afraid, but still, uh, I'll go and have live meetings with uh, a bunch of folks. I love that. It's so important. Yeah. Devin, yeah. your one takeaway for 2023. Yeah, I would say, you know, it doesn't have to be someone with the title content strategy, um, but dedicate someone with the role of being a strategist, uh, a content strategist in your marketing org um, and, and either give them a seat at the table if they've, you know, kind of earned it and have that acumen or at the very least, let them sit at the table. Um, I think very often, you know, we say content is king. Everyone knows content is king. We all consume a ton of content, but they don't really crown, you know, they don't really give the crown to their content people. Right? They don't really enable them and empower them to go do big and amazing things because they're often kind of back on, you know, in their little cubby writing out blogs or webinars. Um, but those are tactics. So I would say, you know, get a content strategist, someone who can connect the dots and art, you know, to your point, you know, architect, you know, your, your strategy and understand, hey, how are we actually using content to move the market or create a new one versus saying, hey, I need two blogs a week for the you know, entire year and that's going to drive revenue. Love it. Kyle, Julian, Devin, thank you so much for lending us your time. Honestly, Julian, my God, as the sound system of Clary, uh, considering you're uh, most of the time pitch perfect, they're lucky to have you. And Devin, changing the way people think, uh, you've demonstrated you know how to do that. And so Clary's lucky to have you uh, at the helm. And, and Kyle is one uh, lucky individual to have both Julian and Devin help him drive growth in 2023. Thank you all so much. Bye, Thank you. Thanks, Ron.